Tonight's scripture reading will come from Mark 15, Mark 15, verses 42 through 46. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock, and he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Good evening. Good to see each of you with us this evening. Uh, glad that you're here. We especially welcome our visitors. I have met uh, three already, and I know there's others that I've not yet met, so I really hope to meet any of you that I have not yet met before you get away. And all of you regulars, we're really glad you're here with us as well. I uh, hope you've had a good day and that you have enjoyed the, the period of sunshine that we had. Um, by the way, uh, if you are on our urgent prayer request service that we offer, you got the uh, request last night to be praying for the Easterlings and the Rotans about uh, the tornado in the area where they're camp they were camping. I, I think they're still there. And I heard this morning that everything uh, turned out fine, lots of rain, but no, uh, no destructive winds or, or hail in that area. So uh, they wanted you to know that they really appreciated the prayers that you offered for them. If you're not on that service, uh, let me know. It's, I think the information's in the bulletin. It's a great way for us to stay connected and uh, kind of like the amber alert that we heard this morning go off. It's a way for us to, to be able to respond quickly to those needs that are there. But we're glad you're with us tonight. Uh, hope you've got your Bible with you. Hope you'll be ready to turn with us uh, to these passages that we're going to look at. And there will be uh, a few different ones that we'll be looking at. So get your thumbs and fingers all loosened up because here we go. You probably realize how much courage it took for the men who signed the Declaration of Independence to do that. Now you may say, well, they just put their signature on the line. Well, it's kind of like, you know, when you sign a mortgage, a 30-year mortgage. Is that something you have to think about? It takes a little courage to do it? Well, that was a whole lot more than that because these were men that were saying, in effect, we rebel against the government that has been in charge of our land and we want to establish our own nation. That's called treason. And if these men had been arrested by the British authorities, they would not have lived long. They probably would have been made public examples and uh, it would have been a painful thing. So it took a lot of courage for them. Yes, they believed in what they were doing, but to actually put their lives on the line, that takes courage. In 1956, John Kennedy wrote a book entitled Profiles in Courage. And in that book, he talks about various figures in American history that did 
extraordinary things at the right time. And we all appreciate these, even though we may have forgotten who they were, we may not have known who they were until we read that book. But you see, the idea is let's also step up and do what we need to do for our country. Well, what we're talking about tonight, of course, is not American history, but the Bible has many profiles in courage. We've already talked about Ruth two weeks ago, and, and who would have guessed that Ruth was a profile in courage? But she is, and we saw many reasons for saying that. And then last week, we talked about the prophet Amos and what he had to do in order to fulfill the will of God. That took courage. Tonight, we'll close this series by talking about another that maybe we haven't thought enough about, and that is Joseph, not Joseph of the Old Testament, not Joseph the stepfather of Jesus, but Joseph of Arimathea. Let's think about him. Let's see what it was he did and why we say that took courage. First of all, let's talk about what we know about Joseph of Arimathea. You may say, well, there's really not much written about him, and to an extent that is true, but what we find is in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all talk about this man who steps out of the shadows, so to speak. At a moment when somebody needed to do something, it was Joseph. Now, before we go to actual uh, passages, let me just throw out three or four ideas that were taught in every one of the passages. That is, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all of these will mention these details, and then we'll turn our attention to the specific passages. For example, all of them tell us that his name was Joseph. That was a very common name among the Jews, of course. Uh, Joseph was a very beloved figure among the Jews. And they also tell us that he was from Arimathea. Now, where is that exactly? We don't know. There's really no way of knowing today where, he was, uh, where that Arimathea was. It was in Israel, but that's about all we can say. Uh, there is um, a writing, Eusebius, back in the 4th century A.D., uh, tried to, to pinpoint it, but, but even scholars today doubt that that is accurate. So all we know is that he was from a place called Arimathea, and, and that's really enough for us. The second thing that we find among all of them is that he came and asked for the body of Jesus for the purpose of burying it. And I say bury, I mean entombed, uh, to be more specific. But he went to Pilate, the governor, and all four of the gospel writers tell us that fact. They also tell us that he wrapped Jesus' body in a linen shroud. Now, the shroud of Turin? No, I, we don't know. There's a whole lot of uh, uh, glamour about that, a lot of... Uh, you know, debate, was that really Jesus? And, and uh, we're not even going to go there. There's no need for us to say that was the actual burial shroud of Jesus. But we do learn from each of them that Jesus' body was wrapped in a linen shroud. And then fourth, they all tell us that his body was laid in a tomb by Joseph of Arimathea. But now let's turn our attention to each of the accounts. And what we're going to do is we're going to go to each of the accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to read the four or five verses in each account that have something to say about Joseph, and then we'll step back and say, what do we learn from this account that we have not already mentioned? So we're going to build a, a profile. 
we're going to try to understand this man in detail. So let's go first to Matthew chapter 27. And I hope you're using your Bible, that you're following along, and that you'll look at this with me. Matthew chapter 27, <clears throat> and we're going to be looking at verses 57 through 60. Matthew 27, 57 through 60. Matthew says this, When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. And then it goes on to talk about other women that were there uh, at the scene as well. So, having read that, what are the details that we learn that we've not already mentioned? Well, there are these. There is the fact, number one, that Joseph is identified as a rich man. How rich? Well, we really don't know. That is not said. But he was a rich man, and, uh, and more of that will come into view here shortly. Then we learn that after obtaining permission from Pilate, Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud. That wasn't a detail found in all of them. Only here in Matthew do we learn that. And we'll say more about that in a minute as well. He laid it in his own new tomb. Um, and this is a tomb that has been cut out of rock. And there is a very big indication that, uh, that Joseph was a rich man. That's not something the average person had access to. Uh, and so nobody had been laid in this tomb before. Jesus was the first one to be given burial in this tomb. Uh, and it was cut out of rock. And then it tells us that a large stone was rolled in front of the opening of the tomb, and that was for the purpose of keeping out animals or for keeping out people. And these were large stones. I trust you have seen pictures that uh, give you an idea of what that was like. But it was a, a difficult process to roll that in place. And that's why the women on the first day of the week said, who are we going to get to help us roll away the stone? So those are some things that we learned from Matthew's account. Let's turn our attention now to Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15, look at verses 43 through 46. And here we're going to find more details that we've not encountered yet. Mark chapter 15, verses 43 through 46. Mark writes, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should already have died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in the tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Now you see, there's already some things that we've mentioned before and we're not going to go back into those. But what are the things that Mark tells us that we have not already mentioned? Well, first of all, he was a member of the council. Almost definitely we're talking about the Sanhedrin, and we're talking about the great Sanhedrin in Jerusalem. 
uh, every community that had uh, a synagogue, or met most of them, had their own versions of the Sanhedrin. But, but the great Sanhedrin was kind of like the Supreme Court uh, is to us in America. It was a body of influential men, and they were, you know, uh, very powerful. They, they had control over many things. Well, that's who Joseph was. He was a member of the council. He was one who was looking for the kingdom of God. And, uh, and of course, any of the Jews might have said that, but this seems to especially point to the fact that he heard the preaching of Jesus, he heard about the kingdom of God, and, and said, maybe, maybe this is the one who is going to bring the kingdom of God into play. And, and so he was looking for the kingdom, he wanted the kingdom of God to come into place, and that's what he was uh, uh, looking for. We also learn here that he went to Pilate, and Pilate was surprised that Jesus might already be dead. Now, Pilate had a responsibility. When he condemned someone, the responsibility was they had to actually die. You could not grant the body if there was any sign of life uh, left in that body. And so he called for the centurion that was in charge. He said, is it true that he is already dead? Because Jesus apparently had died quicker than many who, who were crucified. And the centurion confirms, yes, he is already dead. And that, by the way, is a very big benefit for us because we are given further verification. Yes, Jesus really did die on the cross. It was not just he looked like he was dead and then he roused after he was put in the tomb. No, Pilate made sure, and the centurion knew that his life was on the line. We also learn from this account in Mark that Joseph took down the body. And that suggests that Joseph himself was the one who removed the dead body of Jesus from the cross. That is no small accomplishment if you've ever tried to handle someone who had no power to help themselves. That can be difficult. And when you look in the Greek, uh, the word there and in another passage that is similar are in the singular, the, the pronoun there, and therefore it does appear that, uh, that Joseph was the one who removed the body of Jesus from the cross. It may be that he had others assisting him, but he was a part of it, and that's affirmed here by Mark. And then uh, the linen shroud with which Joseph wrapped Jesus' body, we are told in Mark, was one that he had bought. No wonder it was clean. He had bought the shroud. Now, whether he had bought it right then or, you know, just before coming, we're, we're not told, but it was one that he had bought himself. Now, let's go to Luke's account, Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, and see what Luke has to add to this profile of Joseph of Arimathea. Luke 23, verses 50 through 54. Luke 23, 50 through 54. Here's what Luke says. Now, there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone, where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the, the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. 
And so again, there are many things there that we've already noted, but there are some details we've not noted yet, and let me point those out. Number one, we're told that he was a good and righteous man. And as we know from history and as we know from our own experience, those in power are not always that way. But Joseph was a good and a righteous man, and Luke further tells us he had not consented to the decisions that the Sanhedrin had made regarding Jesus. Now, whether he had been present during that trial, we don't know, because the quorum for uh, a business to be transacted by the Sanhedrin was less than half their total number, and the total number was 70. So it was not necessary that Joseph be there, but whether he had been there or not, we're, we're really not told. But we do know this, if he had been there, he would not have voted with the majority. He would have spoken up or at least dissented from what they were trying to do. Then we learn also from Luke that he laid the body in a tomb in which no one had ever before been buried. And we learn it was the day of preparation. We also pick that up in other accounts uh, in the passages just before we read. But here we are told the Sabbath was beginning, which means it was getting dark and uh, it was you know, when it was considered twilight was the beginning of the Sabbath. And it was crucial that bodies be removed from the cross by then, especially on a holy day like, uh, like the preparation day for Passover, and therefore somebody had to act or else the soldiers probably would have come and removed the body of Jesus and probably have cast it into a mass grave. Then let's look at John's account as we finish out this uh, consideration of the details about Joseph of Arimathea. John chapter 19, John 19 verses 38 through 42, and here is what John says, and again there's a few things that we have not yet encountered. John 19 beginning in verse 38, after these things Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes and about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Now what are the details that we have not yet found in this account? Well, number one, we learned that he had been a secret disciple. We learned earlier that he was a disciple of Jesus, but now we are told he had been a secret disciple. And I think we all know what that means. He had really cheered on Jesus, but not publicly. He had not let it be known publicly that he was a follower of Jesus. And you might understand that in the, in the kind of position he held as a member of the Sanhedrin. That might put all of that in jeopardy. We're also told that Nicodemus aided in Jesus' burial. Uh, that is, that uh, Joseph was not completely acting on his own. But the role of Nicodemus that we read about a couple of other times in John 
uh, was to bring the spices that they would bind in with the, the linen cloths uh, as they wound the body up in it. And it was a very generous portion of spice, as we are told. And then we learn also that uh, the tomb was in a garden in the place where Jesus was crucified, which is an interesting fact. And they used it, and, and here we're quoting from, from what John tells us, since the tomb was close at hand. Now, whether Joseph intended to leave the body there, very likely he did. But it does tell us that this, again, indicates that time is critical. It's very important that we get the body down from the cross, that we entomb it before the beginning of the Sabbath and uh, the day of preparation in particular. So now that we've looked at the uh, four accounts, let me read something from N.T. Wright. N.T. Wright is a uh, scholar that is very well known today. Uh, and this will help put everything in perspective, I think. He said, Joseph's activities involve quite a lot of quick movement between 3 o'clock, and that was the time uh, that Jesus cried out and gave up his spirit, we're told, a lot of quick movement between 3 o'clock and the deadline of sundown when the Sabbath begins. He has to go from Golgotha to Pilate's headquarters buy a shroud on the way back through the city, and finish the job in short order. He is kept waiting by Pilate, who summons the centurion from his post at Skull's place to check that Jesus not only appears to have died, but has in fact been dead for some time. In other words, he did a lot in a very short time. Joseph did an awful lot. And as we think about this, one passage from the Old Testament certainly comes to mind, and that is Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 9. We've heard this many times. It is that uh, familiar passage about the suffering servant. And this detail is given us in Isaiah 53 and verse 9. They made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Now, that combination of dying with the wicked and then being buried with a rich man, that's very odd. And yet Jesus fulfills both of those, does he not? He is crucified between two thieves, and then we're also told that Joseph of Arimathea buried him in his own tomb, one that had been cut out of stone. He was buried with a rich man in that sense. So Jesus, again, it's a fulfillment of prophecy, and this idea of Joseph, uh, of Joseph certainly brings that out again. Now, let's step back from all that we have seen in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and very briefly ask this, why did Joseph's actions require courage? I mean, that's what we're talking about. Profiles in courage, and we're saying that Joseph was one that demonstrated it. Well, did it? Did Joseph show courage on this occasion? Well, we saw earlier in John 19 and verse 38 that he had been a disciple, but secretly for fear of the Jews. In other words, he didn't want to be known as a disciple of Jesus. But now, think again about what we saw in Mark 15. We didn't mention this earlier, but Mark 15 and verse 43, listen again to what it says. Joseph of Arimathea 
a respected member of the council who also was himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And there we are told by inspiration, it took courage for Joseph to do what he did. So there is no doubt that this is an example of courage, but why? I mean, why was it that it took courage for Joseph to do what he did? Now, let me give you three ideas, all of them based on Scripture, and perhaps you could think of even others that I will not mention tonight. But number one, why did it require courage? Because he risked his political standing. He risked his political standing by asking for the body of Jesus. Let me take you to John chapter 19 now, John 19 verses 12 and 13, and let's remember, why was Jesus condemned? What were the charges against Jesus that ultimately led to his crucifixion? It was not blasphemy. That's why the Jews decided we've got to get rid of him, but that would not stick with the Romans. So what was it with the Romans that, that finally got Jesus condemned? And, and we find that in John 19, verses 12 and 13. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat. And he goes on to say that's when he actually made the pronouncement, he will be crucified. So that was the deciding moment. And what was it they were saying? treason. He is setting himself up against Caesar by calling himself the king of the Jews, and that's the charge that caused Jesus to be crucified by the Roman government. Now think about that. If that's what Jesus has been charged with, do you want to be known as his friend, an associate in the eyes of the Roman government? Craig Keener in the international uh, uh, IVP New Testament background commentary makes this comment. He says, Joseph's request was courageous. Identifying with one executed for treason could appear treasonous. And the wealthy were sometimes targeted with charges so leaders could execute them and seize their property. In other words, he was putting himself in a very dangerous position. Because now, Pilate, if he were so inclined, could say, oh, you're one of those. Well, we've just executed Jesus for being a rebel. We will execute you as well and then seize the property that Joseph had. He was a rich man, and that temptation might have been there to Pilate. So you see, by stepping forward and saying, may I have the body, he was putting himself at risk politically. But secondly... Joseph risked his cultural standing by asking for Jesus' body. And by cultural, I mean the fact that he is a Jew and he holds a high position among the Jews of that day. Now let's remind ourselves of some things that we know from other passages like John 12. John 12 verses 42 and 43. We know that Jesus was persuading a lot of people. But not everybody that was persuaded was speaking out. Why not? John tells us. John chapter 12, verses 42 and 43. Nevertheless, 
Many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And so they knew that if we step forward and say, I believe in Jesus, I'm going to follow him, I will be his disciple, they would be put out of the synagogue. We'll talk more about that fact in just a moment. But go to John chapter 9 and see another instance of this. John chapter 9, and here we're looking at a man that had been blind. Jesus healed him, restored his sight quickly and conveniently, and and now the Pharisees are trying to find out well, what's going on here. What, what do you think about this man? And they call the man's parents, the man that had been blind. They say, what do you believe about Jesus? They don't want to get involved. And all they say is, our son is an adult. Ask him. Why did they do that? John 9, verse 22. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews But the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Again, same idea, you'll be cast out of the synagogue. Now, to us, that may not sound like much. But let me turn again to N.T. Wright and let him help us understand what that entailed. He said this didn't just mean that they wouldn't be able to join their fellow Judeans in worship. The synagogue was the focus of the whole community. If you were put out of the synagogue, you'd probably be better off leaving the area altogether because that would affect your livelihood. It would affect who would sell you goods that you needed or buy your goods. To be put out of the synagogue was a major, major punishment, uh, and that would be ostracism. They didn't want that. But Joseph knew, even though that's probably what would happen to him, I'm stepping forward. I'm going to ask for the body of Jesus. And then number three, why does this show courage on the part of Joseph? Because it shows he acted on pure faith. He acted on pure faith. I mean, what's he got to gain by asking for a dead body and laying it in the tomb if it it carries all of these risks? Now, granted, he had probably heard Jesus say that uh, he was going to establish the kingdom, and he had probably heard him say he would be put to death by the Romans or the Gentiles and, and would be raised on the third day. But right now, what does he see before him? A dead body. That's all. He doesn't know what we know today, and that is that Jesus did indeed come out of the grave on the third day. He doesn't know that. All he sees is a dead body. Matthew chapter 4 verse 17 tells us he he had reason to have hope because there we're told that Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's probably what made Joseph want to follow Jesus, the kingdom. Yes, I want that. I'm going to follow him. But what happened after Jesus was crucified? Go to Luke chapter 24, verse 21, and you'll get a glimpse at the mood of the followers of Jesus. Luke 24, verse 21, these are the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And listen to what they're saying and and what they say to Jesus. They don't yet recognize this is Jesus risen from the dead. And they're talking to him as if they were talking to a stranger. 
And, and this is part of what they say in Luke 24, verse 21. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Notice past tense. That was what we hoped. But we don't have that hope anymore because you see Jesus has been put to death. So for Joseph to step forward and say, I want to, the body, I want to be able to bury it. Why, Joseph? It's only going to put you at great risk. You're going to be defiled. You cannot partake of the, participate in the Passover because you will have handled a dead body. I mean, why are you doing this? And I believe it is an act of faith. He knows there's something more to Jesus than what has appeared to the eye. Larry Hurtado, in his commentary on, on Mark's account of this passage, says this, It is striking that the gospel tradition agrees that he, Joseph, and not a member of Jesus' family or of the twelve, went to obtain Jesus' body. Ordinarily, a close relative would ask the special permission necessary to bury a convicted criminal. Thus, the picture of Jesus' abandonment the picture of Jesus' abandonment is filled out still more so that Joseph takes the place that should have been taken by others. Do you see why we say he is a profile in courage? He put it all on the line. No doubt he lost much. But think about what he gained by what he did when he stepped out of the shadows. You see, courage is born of faith. And although we don't know very much about Joseph and don't know how deep his faith was or how he came about it, obviously he had it. And we know today that faith is in the Word of God. That's likely where his faith was grounded as well. And even though Jesus was dead, he stepped out of the shadows to do what needed to be done. And that causes us to ask the question, where are we standing tonight are we standing in the shadows? People really don't know that we are disciples of Jesus. They may suspect. It may look like maybe we are, but they really don't know for sure. We've not done much to show them that we are disciples. Maybe it's time for us to step out of the shadows and to say, Lord, I'm here. I know now you are the risen Lord. I have so much more advantage than Joseph had how can I not declare my allegiance, my faith to you? Tonight, if you're not a follower of Christ, I urge you to step out of the shadows. Confess your faith that Jesus is God's Son. Repent of the sins that you've been guilty of, determining that you're not going to walk that path anymore. And tonight, obey the gospel by putting on Christ in baptism. You'll be declaring your allegiance to him like Joseph did. And if you've done those things, and yet as a disciple, are you a secret disciple? Or have you kind of walked away because you found other things in life more pleasurable? I urge you to repent, if that be the case, to step out of the shadows, to come home. Because God will forgive his children when they repent of their sins and pray for forgiveness. And we'll be glad to pray with you and encourage you and do all we can to help you. Whatever we can do, come now as we stand and sing.